This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Well, good Tuesday morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chatton from Gardnerville, Nevada, and you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for December 12th. This is episode 1832. Good morning, horse world. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday, and it doesn't get much better than best conditioned... And completing the challenge is the challenge. You're an endurance rider. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love. But don't fence me in. Let me be by myself in the evening breeze. Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees. Send me up. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this Tuesday morning. What a couple of weeks from Christmas, I think. It'll be uh, two weeks from now. Christmas will be over, as a matter of fact. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so it's coming very quickly. And Karen is here. She is here the second Tuesday of every month talking about endurance for like the last 20 years. And, uh, and we're going to continue doing it for another 20. Because people like hearing hearing all about endurance. You know, I think endurance is one of those sports, Karen, that all horse riders of some sort thinks in the back of their mind, you know, that's something I'd like to try someday. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. You're far away from your mic or something because we can barely hear you. Is this better? That's better. There you go. Okay, good. Good. Yeah, isn't it though? Do you he hear was reaching for the coffee. Yeah, Glenn. that's right. It's oh, dark, it's oh dark thirty here. It's still dark. <laughs> <laughs> I'm three hours behind you. I know, literally. but you got to talk. And every mic. sense you still of have the to word. talk in your mic. So, <laughs> is that something you hear from people? She couldn't see the mic. It's really dark. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I know we barely have electricity out here. You know. <laughs> yes, I. You know. I think a lot of people do aspire to to do endurance. A lot of people want to do it. It's something that, you know, they hear about, you know, it was something that once I heard about it, it was like, wow, that that's something I want to try. You know, it, it it's just a kind of a fun thing. And the horses love it. I, I think that's what really gets people hooked is when they see how much their horses love to go down the trail and go and go and go it, that's that's what hooks people and you know and it's, we're talking you know uh, when you start you're doing 15 25 miles you're not doing 100 everybody hears about the hundreds but we always have to keep reminding people that that's not where you start so exactly yeah, yeah. i mean and you don't even have to start with 15 or 20 miles you can start with 2 or 5 or you know just going out for an hour or you know, even doing a, a lesson in an arena, what 
a lot of us have learned (laughs) is doing a, you know, really concentrated arena lesson is harder than riding 50 miles sometimes. Right. right. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. On you and the horse. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Jennifer, you've, you've thought about it in the past, haven't you? One of those things you said. Yeah, I, I think, um, Beaker, that wasn't going to be his thing. He, you know, moving along <laughs> at a rapid pace was is never his favorite. But I can see Nigel getting into it once he gets out with a gang of horses. There's no, there's no getting that boy tired. So he might try that. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. should try it. I mean, it's not like we don't have any around here. We do in the winter. So, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> this is where all the endurance riders come in the winter. And why are you, you don't here, know anyway? somebody out west if you wanted to come out? You yeah. know, and ride with somebody. <laughs> you could. <laughs> That's a long trailer trip for a 20-mile ride. Uh, well, you would have to, you know, bar- you know, probably borrow a horse. Karen could probably see to it that you could borrow it. a horse. We, yeah, make we that could happen. set you up. There you yeah. go. There's Jennifer. There's a good adventure, and you'll have lots of stories to tell for the next Endurance episode. Uh, I think she's going to be waiting <laughs> yeah, till too. spring too. But I don't think that's happening right now. We would just prop her up in bed and bring over the the microphone to her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you ain't getting or, her out of Florida know, till about April to come out your way. I got to tell you, that's oh not happening. Gosh! All right, Jennifer, what is coming up on today's show? Coming up on today's endurance episode, we're going out west. That's right. We're going to start out with uh, a chat with Balik Torres, who's been experiencing the crazy, weird, bizarre, and terrifying fires that are going on out west. And she's going to give us an update on how things are going. And Karen's going to have a lot of input there, having grown up out west. And then we're going to lighten things up a little bit as we chat with Janice Pegg, who was Gary Pegg's. You may remember him from last month's episode. That he, she was his crew for his Pacific Crest trail ride. So we're going to get the other side of the story. So stay tuned for the break. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing that. If you didn't hear last month's episode, then uh, you'll want to go back and listen to the interview with uh, Gary about his Pacific Crest Trail ride and uh, where he talks about Janice. And then that's at the point where we said, okay, we have to have Janice on because she was support crew (laughs) for how many months? Four or five? Five months. Driving that truck every day, catching up with him, sitting around, you know, just dealing with all the crap that she had to deal with too. So I'm interested to see what that looks like. Quite the adventure. Yes. Quite the adventure. Quite a test of endurance for both of them. Speaking of which, what have you been up to? You know, lately I've been doing a lot of just training and conditioning rides with my junior rider. We've been having a blast. The horses are really, let me stop you there. What's a training and conditioning ride look like for you? For me, it's, I think sometimes in the winter, we spend almost as much time getting the horses ready to go for a ride, (laughs) uh, to get the mud scraped off and get them cleaned up, um, you know, get their boots on them, uh, get, you know, get everything ready. And then off we go. And the horses are, they're having a blast. They love, they really love when we let them go do a ride and let them move out that that is the most fun they just they thrive on that they love it they get 
you, you know, and if we try to hold them back and slow them down, then they're total pills, or I don't know what you would call it, but they're a lot more work. Let's mm-hmm. just say that it's so much more enjoyable when we go out, uh, their brains are focused, we get to let them move out. The, I think day before yesterday we rode, it was Sunday, and what was really funny is we we rode up on, there was some motorcycle riders, and they were unloading their motorcycles out of the back of their pickup truck out on the trail, and the funny thing is, is we thought, oh, well, we'll try to go away from them, and then everywhere we went, they would come zipping by us, <laughs> and so we would try to turn and go a different way, and it, I swear, it was like five different times we ended up encountering the same motorcycles over and over and over. And, Were they trying uh, to buzz you, or...? They weren't. In fact, the thing is, is they get tunnel vision because they're wearing their helmets mm. and and we're in thick pinion pines, oh, so, so they, they can't, can't see you off to the they left often, or right. They, yeah. In fact, I think most of the time they didn't even see us. They didn't even know we're there. But of course, we know because we can hear them and the the horses know. So you and had so some we desensitization were, training, of course. Yes, and <laughs> and so luckily. especially for the 10 year old that my horses are pretty well desensitized to like everything. And, uh, but we kept encountering the same motorcycles over and over and over. And we, you know, and then we would turn and go try to go a different way to try to avoid them. And then next thing you know, 10 minutes later, here they come again, (laughs) zooming right past us. And literally there were like three times where we were within like 10 seconds of them running over the top of us if we hadn't gotten off of the trail and out of the way. And so, um, uh, but you know, the horses are good natured about it. And, and, you know, when we get them out there because they're so experienced and they're older and more mature, uh, when we let them go, they love it. They just thrive. And we spent most of the, that ride trotting and cantering. And of course we come home with, Horses that, you know, they're they're like teddy bears this time of year with their super thick winter coat. So even if we get back and it's only two or three o'clock in the afternoon, you know, by seven o'clock, they're still not quite dry all the way. So it takes hours for them to dry out. And then, to, you know, we have to keep brushing them to fluff their fur back up so that they've got some, you know, that's how their fur keeps them warm at night when it drops down into the single digits and it's freezing cold. So, you know, we try to get home, you know, at least an hour or two before it gets dark. So they have time to cool out and dry off. And um, so we can get them cleaned. So what do you put on them when you get home? Well, normally what we'll do is we'll, you know, I make a nice, I'll come in the house and and bring out some hot water so that they can, I can make their mash kind of warm for them and add some salt because I know that they've um, sweated quite a bit, you know, especially since their coats are so wet and they're so hairy this time of year. And then... um, Do you put cooling sheets on them at that point? Often, yes. If it usually, if it's after say four o'clock, uh, in the you know this time of year, then it's going to start getting dark in the next hour, hour and a half. Then I'll put a fleece sheet on them. Um, if we get back and say it's already after five and and the sun is already set, then I'll put on a fleece sheet and then another blanket on top. And then after an hour or two, we'll go out and pull the fleece sheet off. 
um, and then leave the blanket on them overnight. And then what I usually like to do, I prefer, is if I can pull all of that off and then brush them out to get the fur to fluff back up. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes, you know, that's just hard. That's just, you, you know, it's just, it's tough this time of year. Um, but, you know, the horses, they had so much fun on Sunday because we were we were letting them you know, trot and canter. Letting them have and fun and be horses. It getting to do, you know, and it's so funny with Chief. You know, you would think it. He's twenty two years old and he's been there, done that. But this horse, if I try to rate him and slow him down, he tends to spook at stuff uh, or shy or whatever you want to call it. And he does his little sideways thing. So I come back and it was like, yeah, I need to get in the hot tub because, <laughs> you know, he's, he's stre- stressed out every muscle I've got in my body, you know, doing his little sideways maneuvers, but he only does it when I'm trying to slow him down. If And I think that's his way of saying, you know, at, at this point, mom, why don't you just let me go? Let me move out. Because when you do, I don't do this. Right. Stuff. It's much easier on you, you know? if you let me do what I want. <laughs> he's trying, he, you know, he's just trying his darndest to train me, you know, and it's starting to sink in because like I kids, realize. Just like kids, yeah. right? If you if you do what I want, then I won't scream and yell. Exactly. And <laughs> exactly. Just- let me do what I want <laughs> and I'll be a really good boy. Yeah, and, right. and, you know, and we were having so much fun. Until someone you know, gets it's, hurt, it's as my just- mom used to say. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, you're let that that's the funny thing with these endurance horses is you're less likely to get hurt if they get their way. (laughs) Right, right. Well, (laughs) now we do have an update, too, here from our spotlight uh, endurance rider for the 2018 WEG show for the World of Question Games radio show. We're spotlighting one athlete in each discipline. And Sarah Schick has an update, right? We do. Yes. She just posted yesterday about submitting her application of intent to USEF. So she paid her money, sent in her form, and her and her horse have met all of the qualification standards. Uh, She calls her horse legs. Legs. Yes. And... uh, uh, now she, yeah, so, she, um, she'll have to go to uh, probably the test event or someplace in the spring, where the uh, mm-hmm. where the selectors will be there. So, um, so she'll probably have to do that. But you know, she's reached the qualification. Now it's going to be up to the selectors, and and also there's a mandatory training event in the summer that'll be, uh, and it, basically it's an in person tryout. Right? They want to see what right. you know and how you you know how your horse is doing, and and of course they do ask for more. What a lot of people don't realize is when you submit for something like this, what did they ask her for? They ask it for blood work and also for uh, for a some radiographs, radiographs of, of, of and horses' feet. Yeah, so they really want to mm-hmm. know that your horse is going to has the potential to be sound when next year rolls around. Exactly. And that there's not some little, you know, demon hiding right. that you don't know about. There's, you know. But that um, costs the rider. I mean, the rider pays for that, right? So has to pay for exactly. the radiographs and the blood exactly. and everything. So it's a commitment when you want to go up to the to that high level like the World Equestrian Games. It is. It's a commitment for the rider, the horse, and the rider's entire family. Yes. And in, in, in an Whether, endurance case, all the support crew and everybody else involved. Exactly. Yeah. There's there's a lot involved, and it takes an entire team to get you know these horses to this level. Well, uh, well, 
you know, a lot of commitment. Well, I know that there were some election results from the AERC. We'll talk about those in a little while in the show. But I wanted to, while we had time, get to the endurance tip, because this was really a question that was asked by a listener. So why don't I read it here to you? I have a question about my horse that that I was hoping somebody would consider answering on the show. He is an 18-year-old Missouri Foxtrotter gelding. He has been a partner for 10 years. We started expanding our trail riding to include some competitive distance riding in the past two years. He is great on the trails with a few buddies, but during competitions, he gets terrible race brain, and I have difficulty controlling his speed. And now you can kind of see why. I thought you would be a perfect (laughs) one to answer this. I have been working on positive reinforcement, clicker training uh, of softness of the bridle. He wears a a bitless side pull, relaxation and bending, as well as reinforcing downward transitions and halts. We work in the arena and on the trail. He does well, and he knows that he does well until he knows there are other horses moving quickly out in front of him and then loses all interest in anything I've taught him. This makes it very difficult to reinforce any desired behavior. It also comes very hard to keep his attention on me. Now, I think we've all, at some point, if you've dealt with horses in the past. We've all yes, experienced exactly. it. Yes. So, so you have one. Which one of yours is more like this? Chief. Chief. Kind of loses his brain <laughs> and goes, I'm and, going and out to thing, win, and even if you're not coming along. so Well, yeah. and, and the thing with Chief for sure is, and, and I've said this many, many, many times, is I've always had to manage his brain more than the physical or metabolic part about him. Because if I can't manage his brain, um, then that's when he will run into a problem metabolically or physically because, um, you know, it, it's tough once their brain, you know, that's the thing with endurance horses in particular is they get out there and they realize they're in a competition and, and a lot of people will say, Oh, they'll calm down after a few rides. You know what? They, (laughs) they often don't, they learn what they're doing and they and it gets worse. And so that's where you have to learn how to manage them. And it's it's a tough situation because they do get more and more wound up once they learn what they're doing and that it is a competition. They're competitive. They want to go. They want to keep up with all the other horses. You know, so my advice is typically with um, uh, what I have done that works for me and my horses is I often, you will start a few minutes late. You, you know, you can go give your number so that they know you're starting and then walk back into camp and try to keep your horse focused on you walking around the trailers, let the front, you know, the front pack leave so that you're kind of, you want to try to get in your own space in your own little bubble so that your horse isn't feeling like he's chasing other horses down or that he has horses right behind him. And, and so sometimes that can be, you know, it's just a little bit of, uh, you, uh, you know, kind of a logistics kind of thing. You try to get in your own little spot. Um, a lot of riders you'll see on the multi-days, especially when they're bringing along a new horse, is they will lead out of camp on foot. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the, you know, the, the theory is to finish is to win. And so, you, you, you know, it doesn't really matter. You, you know, if you, if you spend the first 20, 30 minutes of a ride, 
getting your horse's brain intact <laughs> or back down to Earth, planet Earth. It's going to make uh, the uh, rest of the hours system. so it much makes better, the isn't rest it? <laughs> of the ride so much better. And so, you know, I know some people don't want to have to get off of their horse or whatever to start with. But, you know, for some people, that's going to be the safest way to go is to just get off your horse. Even if your horse is spinning circles around you, let them do it until they get it out. Until they calm down, until they're not, you know, got this terrible race brain. Because these horses, they morph into something, some sort of like this Godzilla monster that you've never seen before. People, you know, are like, my horse has never done this before. Well, but till you put them in that environment, you don't really know how they're going to react. And then they turn into this, you know, this monster that you've never seen and uh, and uh you know they may they may try to run away with you they may start trying to buck or or jigging or going sideways and spinning and just you know they their little minds just can't handle you know they're like i say my horse's two brain cells he's got are sparking together and (laughs) and so you need to be able to try to get them to focus on you like like this person asking the question is saying the their horse isn't really focusing and paying attention to her and so that's what you need to do is you need to try to get the horse focused on you and so one of the things I learned with Chief many 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 years ago of course I've been competing on him for 16 years and he still gets this way this isn't something that the horse is just get over and then they never do it again this is an ongoing thing just like you know with children you're always working to educate them and and get them to you know pay attention or whatever and so i get off and i will i would lead him or my favorite thing is what i call brain uh brain training or brain food is to walk them off take them off the trail where there could be rocks or boulders or whatever. And of course this, you can't always do this depending on the terrain, but uh, I take them off when, when I can and I circle them and walk them off the trail so that we have to weave around the rocks or the trees or whatever obstacle is there. And that is what I call brain food. And that makes them have to think and refocus and pay attention and stop worrying about the other horses that are going ahead and that in you know it can take some time but the time you spend doing that trying to get your horse to come back you know mentally and pay attention to you um is going to pay off later when you can actually get get your horse to move and and really if if you know, if it ends up taking too much time, the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to end up over time on a ride. That's not a big problem. There's there's worse problems to have. You, you know, I know some people adhere to the theory of just let the horse go. Well, you know, if you're a lot more experienced rider, that might work for some horses to let well, them depending go. Depending how steep the cliff but, is and how wide the path is, I mean, there's exactly. that too. Exactly, <laughs> and so there there are times where that is going to be something that that probably is going to be something you should consider doing is let them move out a little bit. And for some horses, they're going to settle right down. But ideally, you you want to try to get the horse 
to have their focus and their brain come back to planet Earth and pay attention to you and listen to you. Because what happens is if you let them get away with something, just like with a child, the next time they're going to test you again and again. And as they keep learning that they can get away with something, they're going to keep pressing it farther and farther. And then you're, you know, at some point you're going to lose control. So, you know, to me, the first half hour of every endurance ride tells me, even on a multi-day, if I'm doing a five-day ride on a horse, the first half hour of that, you know, week-long ride is probably the, the most important part of that ride because that I am setting my horse up either for success or failure mentally. And like I said, with my horse chief, who's got over 15,000 miles, um, setting him up mentally for success is, you know, the most important thing, the, the biggest factor in his success for a long career. And so you have to kind of focus on that. You have to think, you know, what is my ultimate long-term goal for this horse? Not just for today, but long-term. And then that helps you put things into perspective and it helps give you the patience that you might need that you might not otherwise have because it's so easy to get frustrated and say, oh, heck with it, I'm tired, uh, you know, I'm just going to let the horse go. Well, you you know, you really need to think about the long-term goals that you have for your horse. And, um, you know, even if you need to just, you know, get off and lead the horse and walk the horse or whatever, let everybody go by, get into your own little bubble. And then once your horse settles down, um, you know, get back on and then start you know, working on your half halts or your, you know, doing circles or and bending and or going around obstacles on the trail to try to get them to be paying attention to you. But I totally get it. It's 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 a hard thing to get a horse, um, especially as they learn once they learn what's going on because they're just inherently competitive and they want to go, they want to keep up with everybody. Um, Chief especially is um, what sets him off is horses behind him. If we're going climbing up a mountain and he can hear people back there behind us, even if there are a couple switchbacks back, he's like, I'm not, they're not catching me. They're Exactly. And so it's not just the people in front, but the ones behind you. So that's where, you know, you got to, there's a lot of logistics involved with getting yourself into your own little bubble. And that's. Very well said. Very well. Yes. Thank you. I hope that answers uh, your question to Anna, uh, who uh, wrote that. So we appreciate that. We hope that gives you some help along the way. And now speaking of help. We have Kristen here from Distance Depot. Good morning, Kristen. Good morning, Karen and Glenn. Have Merry Christmas. Is it busy over there at Distance well, Depot? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it seems like yesterday was Thanksgiving, and here we are almost to Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, too. <laughs> yeah, holy cow. Yep, we've been busy for sure. Time just flies. <laughs> it does. And so we're going to talk today a little bit about some of your, uh, you've got some sales 
sales going on some of your products? Tell us about that. Okay. Um, yes, hopefully many of your listeners are signed up for our email. Today we're doing one of our last holiday specials. It's a holiday ho-ho. So you can enter code ho-ho, all capital letters, and 15 into the coupon code and get 15% off Easy Care. Stowaway um, pommel cantle packs, um, our Toclat cool back endurance pads, an extra 15% off of clearance, and then to keep your toes warm in this winter riding season, all of the carrots wool socks. So quite a few specials there. Don't miss out on those. Um, we're also... Don't forget that um, Distance Depot gift certificates are a fabulous gift for anyone on your list. Um, that way they can pick out exactly what they need if they're wanting to order custom beta-biothane tack. They can pick out all their colors, sizes, etc. Um, without and any, you know, then you don't have to make the decisions and possibly pick out the wrong color <laughs> um, or something like that. So we have um, gift certificates that we can email right away or you can print them out So in any denomination. So whatever dollar amount you want to give, it's a perfect gift this time of year. Since we are getting so close, we see a lot of gift, gift certificates this time of year. Definitely. And and that code is HOHO15. HOHO15. And we're also doing 10% off of the Extreme um, Pro cool, cool Back and Wool Back toe clap pads today, too. And that code will be HOHO10. Wow. Don't miss that on these last-minute specials. Definitely not. And, and what is your website address? It is www.thedistancedepot.com. I wanted to thank you also for participating in Radiothon again this year. And I know uh, Rosie won, won the halter, and her yeah. she's so excited about having having that on her horse. So uh, yes. I'm glad yep. you guys. And I'm sure she'll pick out some funky color because she's Rose, <laughs> Rosie's going to pick <laughs> well, out good. some we, wild We color. love it. When, we'll, yeah, we'll have to ask her to send us a picture. But, yeah, always great to participate in that. Um, Hope well, it was a very successful event. Yeah, we went off without a hitch yeah. this year, which is a good. switch. Awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's good. Well, thank you, Kristen. We really appreciate your all your support of the Endurance Show every year. You've been with us for a long time, and we appreciate your supporting Karen and the Endurance Show and the Endurance community like you guys do at Distance Depot. Yes, well, you're very welcome. We're happy to do so. Well, Merry Christmas, thank Kristen. Merry Christmas. Bye-bye. All right. Well, well, uh, and she has been with us for like since we started, maybe. It's, well, it's yes, it's been a couple of years. I I'm sure it's been a long yes. time. So uh, we're gonna right now. What we're gonna do is we're waiting for our next guest. Jennifer's gonna get the next guest on the line, and uh, we are going to in the meantime talk about. The AERC, the American Endurance Ride Conference, they had an election, right? Yes, they did. And uh, it was a board of directors election for regional directors. And uh, I'll just uh, go ahead and read off. These uh, directors that were elected are going to serve from March 2018 through March 2020. And in the Midwest, it was Connie Cottle and Angie Mickelson, Southwest, Troy Eckerd, and Marsha 
Hefker, Miles. West region was Andrew Gerhard, which was on, uh, he, we had him on as a guest. Oh, so last he, did, he did do it? Okay, good. Yes, okay. yes, he did. And, uh, and then in the other regions uh, that we have, there's seven total regions. The incumbents will be continuing to serve. And usually what happens there is that they didn't have anybody run against them. So they ended up uh, elected by default. Hey, Karen, we're getting some noise from your microphone. So what I'm going to have you do, uh, okay. I'm going to put you on mute so people don't hear this, but I'm going to have you actually unplug the cord from the back of the microphone and plug it back in. But let me put you on mute first or else we'll get a loud noise. In okay. So let's try I'll that. do that. Be right back. All right. While Karen's doing that, Jennifer's getting the guest on, and we'll be talking a little bit more about the situation in California as the uh, fires continue to burn out of control. And there's many, many horse people affected, including endurance riders. Karen actually uh, grew up in that area and was from that area. Are you back? Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah, let's hope that's better. Um, so uh, I was just saying that we're getting our guest on and we're going to talk a little bit more about the situation out there in California. And boy, overnight, it's just continued to grow that uh, just tons of homes and and just farms and horses and people and everybody affected by this. So why don't you talk a little bit? And by the way, your guest is ready. But why don't you talk a little bit, too? You grew up in the Ventura, California area. Yes, I did. I grew up in Ventura, which is about, I don't know, 50 to 70 miles north of Los Angeles. And we're right on the coast of California. We normally have, you know, ideal weather down there. Uh, it, you know, it's a beautiful area. And uh, of course, growing up, we always referred to California as uh, the land of many disasters, whether it was fire, flood, or earthquake, uh, just jokingly. And of course, unfortunately, this year, uh, California, the entire state has been hit hard by wildfires. And of course, this uh, newest wildfire called the Thomas Fire in Ventura, California, has been just, it, it's like an epic disaster that you couldn't even imagine uh there's like it's burned over 300 square miles it's threatened uh, 18,000 struct structures are still threatened and hundreds of homes have burned and thousands of uh, people and their animals have all been displaced it's it's just um y you know it's everybody's worst worst nightmare that that something like this could happen and it's brought on by the Santa Ana winds which for those not familiar with that it's the winds are hot there's uh, uh, high winds they're unrelenting it's hot uh, the the humidity uh, drops down so it uh, really it's fire conditions and after last winter, because we had so much moisture, a lot of stuff grew, which fuels the fire. And then um, once it starts uh, blowing with the fire going, it quickly gets out of control. I know the other night, just a few days ago, when the fire started, I, you know, we heard that there was a fire. And it, of course, they 
all start out small. And then next thing you know, within an hour, I see posts from my friends that they're having to evacuate and get out of the way of the fire. And then this one just turned into this monster fire and it went um, just totally out of control. It, it burned uh uh, started, I, I believe, over in Santa Paula. And of course, my next guest, Vicki, is going to tell us a little bit more about, you know, where it started and, and how that, um, you know, how it all took place and what happened. So, um, I have uh, Vicki Bielik Torres on and um, welcome, Vicki. Are you there? I am, Karen. I'm here. Hi. Good morning. How are you doing? Well, I think the smoke might actually be starting to leave my lungs just a little bit because I can actually talk. I was going to ask you about that because that's something you don't hear a lot about is it's got to be hard to breathe out there for everybody. Well, it's, it's hard to breathe for everybody. And you're not seeing a lot of people without face masks on right now. Mm. Oh, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty extreme. So Okay, so tell us. Um, let's go back. Something. Let's go back to the start of when the fire first started, and and I remember just you know hearing a little bit about that there was a fire, and then I next thing I knew, yeah. so what happened? How how did it all um, go down? Well, interesting enough, I live in Santa Paula, and we heard the helicopters when we were eating dinner. The fire started on the hill behind our house. So I went outside, you know, I live in Santa Paula. I hate to say it. I thought there was a car chase, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) So when I went outside, last thing I expected to see was flames ripping across the hill behind our house and neighbors running everywhere. The fire department told us we had 45 minutes to get ready to go. And so we calmly packed up our stuff. And uh, we may have lost the house. We were, you know, we didn't lose the house, fortunately, but there was no way we were going to lose our living quarters trailer. So we were able to hook that up, get on the road. I got my elderly parents out of here. And as we were driving in that short period of time that that fire started, it had started jumping the canyon so fast that we had to divert from our emergency location and go to the ranch where we keep our horses and evacuate them. So not only did we get displaced from our home, but now our horses were being evacuated. It it was Uh uh, surreal. It was just, it was surreal on how everything went down and how it went down so quickly. Yeah. And then from there, let's see, we got the horses evacuated and we went to the fairgrounds, which was already open for the evacuees. I'm also the EVERT coordinator, the emergency rescue team coordinator. Mm-hmm. So we went, so we unhooked the living quarters. My husband quickly hooked up the other trailer so we could start helping evacuating other horses. And then I checked in and started working on intake at the barn, at the barn itself. All in the swoop of maybe an hour and 45 minutes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. And so what were you thinking during that time? I mean, you you know, I I was thinking that it was actually surreal. 
Uh-huh. I, I thought for sure we were going to lose our house. I, I, thought, I just thought the house uh-huh. was going to be gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just, I, I was just overjoyed that we, we got our horses out in time. And, right. um, I was just, I was so sad to see, uh, the people coming in that lost their house. Right. They lost oh, I know. everything. And so you, you have three horses of your own that you got out. Tell us about each of, each of them. Well, I have my, my horse Salam, which is a 16-hand narcoleptic endurance horse. Uh-huh. And I call him narcoleptic because he likes to fall asleep at each of the vet checks. My husband has his 16-hand Bavarian mountain horse. And then we have, um, well, he's actually our nephew, an 18-year-old quarter horse. Uh-huh. And uh, so for, fortunately, go ahead. What is the, the mountain horse? The mountain horse is called, he's called an overlander. He's a Bavarian mountain horse. Okay. Mm. I was wondering, I saw that written down as mountain draft horse, and I was wondering what that was. Uh, Yeah, it's called an overlander. He's actually the only one of his breed here on the West Coast. What? They're they're draft Uh horse, but they're made for the mountains. Very forward, very sure-footed, can climb anything, can go down anything, can go through everything. He's a tank. Uh But, um, yeah, and, for you know, the good thing about our horses, and I think it helped to make a difference, is they're so used to going so many different places uh-huh. that when everything started to happen, it, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to come out wrong, but it, they kind of, they weren't ready for it, but it wasn't, it didn't cause panic for mm-hmm. them. Because mm-hmm. I had seen ranch, so many situations. Several horses. Yeah. Yeah. They don't, there's horses when panic starts, which is a really important, it's hard, but the be- best thing you can do is not panic. When you got to, so and, do you and, board and at a boarding stable where there are other people? Yes. And what, what, was everybody panicked? I mean, was it a panic situation when you got there? Yes. Yeah. Trailers everywhere, yes, people everywhere, horses everywhere. Well, a lot of people and a lot of horses that didn't have trailers. Mm. Oh, and a lot of people running around trying to find somebody to take them. Right. And oh. we, when it first happened, we got there. We had time to pack. We put our ID bands on our horses, and we could stay calm. And then all of a sudden, poof, the fire was up on the top of the ridge. Mm. Oh, so we took, boy. we were able to hook up our other trailer to another truck and take three more horses of our friends. And our intent was to unload and go back to our ranch and help take out other horses. Mm-hmm. But while other people were in the process of trying to get their horses out, the fire came down the ridge and started heading towards the ranch. Mm. So the fire department pretty much kicked everybody out, including the people who live on the ranch. They had to let the horses go. They put a bunch of horses in one of the arenas. They turned on the water and the sprinklers and prayed for the best. And I hate to ask. And, and amazingly, it's okay. Amazingly, and somehow wow. the fire came to the edge of the ranch. It completely jumped the ranch and went up this other side of the hill. Wow. I just got goosebumps. Oh. I know. I know. So what's everybody doing? And there were a lot of people. You have a lot of people, neighbors that have lost their homes and, you know, are displaced as well yeah. as, you know, there's a lot of horse people displaced too. But what are they doing? I mean, wh- where do they go? What are they doing? <laughs> 
Well, we have actually, up until just yesterday, the day before, we had quite a few horse people that were sleeping in their cars and sleeping in their trailers because they just hadn't hit them yet, the level of loss they, they, mm-hmm. they've just had to deal with. Uh, we've had other people who came in and they were so shocked and just in this state of numbness, I think, that when they checked their horses in, they didn't know what they were going to do. They didn't know. They were just happy they got their horses out. And other people went to hotels. You know, we have a very, 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 very good friend in the endurance world that lost everything, including her Tevis buckles. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, so there's people. And then, oddly enough, we had some people come in that even though they lost everything, they were so happy that they still had their family and those horses are part of their family. Right. And so um, what's the what's the scene like now at the Ventura County Fairgrounds? It's starting to empty out. People are starting to be able to take their horses home or mm-hmm. to places, you know, where they have friends that weren't in the line of fire. Oh, good. And so it, it's finally starting to calm down at the fairgrounds. You know, we're keeping the fairgrounds open because we're ready for anything. And there are parts of Ojai that haven't been hit. There's also Fillmore. There's a fire in Fillmore. Oh, and no. so if the winds start driving that fire, you know, at the rate that this fire has gone and the fires that I've seen in the past, praying it doesn't drive the way that it has in the past, which would take it from Fillmore to more parks to Somas to see me. Now, and I, I think the firefighters have a good control of that one, but I'm, I hope that doesn't happen. Are the winds right. still 50 miles an hour or they have died down or what? They've died down. Today we're supposed to have winds at about, I think, about 30 miles an hour or so. They oh, were supposed to completely to die down, but they keep extending <laughs> yeah. it. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely there is. And they say that, you know, the, everything is already burned. You know, what's going to happen? It can't burn again. And that's not necessarily the case. There have been a lot of pop-up fires in areas that have mm-hmm. already been burned. Yeah, it, it's been it's been it's been crazy. It's been sad. It's been very educational. There's so many levels of of feelings that have been involved with this incident. Right, and so if somebody wants to help, you know, some of these people that have been displaced, that have lost everything, or even, um, you, you know, and I know like in Ondolando where my stepsister was evacuated, yeah. they've got the Army National Guard up there and nobody yes. can go back. Even if their home is still Good. there, they're not able to go back. Does she know so, if her home's still there? Yes. Yes. It, it, yes. She was one of the lucky ones where... She's uh, like one of the three, I think. Yeah, there's there's a lot of homes that didn't all around her. It is interesting um, when you look at these when you look at these videos and the films from uh, pictures from above, and you see whole neighborhoods and there's there's three houses in the middle of the street that weren't touched and everything else is gone and you wonder how did that happen exactly. You know? <laughs> it's like, That's where I Karen's know. sister is. <laughs> right in the middle. She's the three houses <laughs> those, in the middle of the those street. Those videos are where. Those, that's where Karen's sister is. Ugh. I know. And it's just, for all uh, of this, it's gonna you know, and, and but still, you know, she was still hanging on at, at, at one point because nobody knew. Nobody could tell her. She didn't know. Yeah. Uh, no, like nobody knew. Else. Nobody knew what happened or 
you know, if any of their stuff survived or not. And so, you know, it moved. Exactly. And so no, but none of these people are able to go back or if they did, it was just briefly. And now they're, you know, because there's been looting going on already. And so they've got the army, army national guard, you know, protecting everything for everybody, which is, which is good, but these people are still displaced. They can't go home or they have no home to go back to. So what can we do to help? Well, I I think one of the, the, one of the primary, 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 I don't know. I'm so lost for words this morning. I apologize. Red Cross has done an amazing job of helping a lot of the people who become displaced and homeless. I would say they're a significant factor and would I think that they deserve a lot of support and anything we can do to help them would be really important. There are several other funds set up and Ventura County Animal Services has been accepting donations because the costs that have been incurred mm-hmm. related to this incident have just been overwhelming. I mean, they have all their staff on double and triple overtime. They've incurred a lot of expenses to help support the horses. As far as the horse owners, there's a lot of different uh, access sites that have been set up to support them, but there's not really a central site, I don't think. And there's unfortunately a lot of fraudulent sites. Well, I want to send everybody to horsenation.com. They have an article, scroll down a little bit, and you'll see it was the other day, Standing Ovation by Ovation Riding, Help Horses Affected by Lilac Fire. But it also has uh, has contact information for pretty much everybody in California that's helping out, and these are legitimate places. Perfect. Um, And it's all listed on one page. There's emails, there's donate buttons. Uh, The Del Mar, you know, Obviously, the fairgrounds mm-hmm. there. Uh, oh yeah, we took in a ton. Earl Warrens. Uh, yeah, and uh, the, the also the you know the the, the Downs had uh, a fundraiser set up. They were at like yep. five hundred seventy thousand yesterday, um, in two um, days. That's it was amazing, crazy. and that's great. Yep, I mean, but and, it's, it's great. And I, but there's a whole bunch of others there too that are listed. Mm-hmm. Everybody, Thoroughbred Charities of America, the American Association, the AERP, or the AE. AAEP, I always get that wrong. Um, and then uh, there's several others, the California Thoroughbred Horsemen's Association. I know we had somebody on Perfect. from Cantor, California yesterday. So they're all listed there. There's also some local places Good. where you can uh, go to buy hay for people, buy grain for people, just put, put in accounts. Yes. That's all there too. Um, so go to horsenation.com yes. and you'll see that article. We posted it on our page yesterday as well. So. It's okay. You know, I I do have to make a comment. Yep. Nevada is amazing. We have somebody who organized a massive load of hay. Three ladies drove down 30 bales yesterday, uh-huh. and somebody else is driving 600 bales down today. Wow. I don't want to name them, but that they are a godsend because we're setting up something where we're going to be able to give back to some of these people who lost their properties and are having problems finding food for their horses. Sure. Uh-huh. And this is going to be. This is going to allow us to help them. Yeah, people don't. Re- this, don't you don't think about the fact Smith that the, the grain and the hay and everything burn up too. I mean, that's all gone too. Yeah. 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 Yes, it is. Yeah. And it, it all, is. this and kind of thing always happens. Are feeling it. Right after you get an entire load of hay put into your barn, that's when this happens. It never happens when your barn is empty. Yeah. It always happens when it's full. <laughs> no. Uh, it's called Murphy's Law. Yes. Well, we appreciate you being on. Thank you so much <laughs> for keeping, keeping us Absolutely. up to date about Thank what's happening. So and God, let's hope for some rain here. 
Uh, oh, well, yeah. I don't know. Green is going to bring mudslides, Glenn. <laughs> yeah, but at least we, we got to deal with one tragedy at a time here, Karen. Let's get the fires out. And then, then we'll deal with the you mudslides. do know Ventura, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I, I do. <laughs> Let's at least get the fires out, get a little dampness, a steady, gentle, nice rain, Karen. Steady, gentle, nice rain. Well, well Vicki, yeah. thank you for all you've done to help others. And I'm so glad that, that you... Uh, got your horses out okay and that your home survived well thank you and thank you for the time and anybody who else is listening from this part of california i you know i pray for them and if there's anything that we can are capable of doing from this end for the other people we will do everything we can thank you Vicky. take care. help good luck all right thank you guys okay. thank you both Th- thank you thanks vicky you get said, some rest and, and get your voice back. <laughs> yeah, you said something interesting in the chat that that's not her normal voice at all. Right. Hmm. Right. That, that's yeah, the smoke, the smoke is, there. you know, you you don't realize how, you know, this is an ongoing thing, I'm sure, for many people in Southern California. You know, and for a lot of us in the rest of the country, we're not, none of us are in an area that's as dense, densely populated as, some of these areas are. And so, you know, it's hard to comprehend, you know, where, you know, when you have to evacuate, you know, some of these fires, because they've had several fires in the last week, they've had to evacuate, you you know, thousands of people, or even 100,000 people. And it's like, well, where do they all go? You know, you know, how just, to comprehend that where do they all go all of their animals everything and all of the services that are needed it, it's just it's it's hard to imagine unless you've you know been or lived in an area like that uh, to, to understand you know the the gravity of the situation it's um it's quite something in fact a uh, a year or two ago when I went down to an endurance ride that I went to down in Southern California, we stayed at a ranch in Ventura, which was off of Foothill road. And unfortunately that ranch actually burned in the fire the first night. Mm. And so, um, you know, it's, it's tough when you, you realize, and, and I know many areas of Ventura that were evacuated or had homes burned. In fact, we were watching uh, the KTLA news because um, you could uh, watch it online uh, just through a web browser. Uh, so we were watching it and seeing a lot of the areas that I knew personally that I grew up in or uh relatives uh had homes and and it was like watching like a big barbecue full of charcoal briquettes and it, the houses it, it it was just like a hit or miss with some that were burning and then others that were perfectly fine and, and uh just watching all of that it, it it's just it's devastating you know these these poor people, but, uh, you know, the good news is that, um, you know, everybody's coming together, there's help and support, uh, safe places to go. And, um, and, and like, like you said, go to the horse 
is it horsenation.com website they did they had one of the most comprehensive articles i've seen on where to donate but good all Um, right well let's switch gears here a little bit and uh uh, we're going to talk a little we're going to talk about somebody who hiked through this area who actually rode through this area we're going to talk to the support person and of course we had gary on last month talking about his ride of the pacific crest trail which took months and months Mm -hmm. and months from mexico to canada and we're going to have his wife on who who helped him all the way with providing support and backup, and and she has some stories of her own. So we're going to talk to her in a minute. But I thought, you know, we'd continue sharing some of the Radiothon songs that were done by our listeners. I hate to just play them once on Radiothon and never play them again because they put a lot of work into them. And this is uh, a 12 Days of Christmas, and it's called 12 Days of Christmas from Our Horse. And it's Scott and Marissa. And this one was fun. I think you'll enjoy it. And we'll be back here on the Endurance Day in a few minutes. And, of course, this song is brought to you by Renegade. So while Scott was out of town, I thought I would write a version of the 12 Days of Christmas and talk him into singing it with me. So now he's home, and I'm going to victimize him a little bit. So Sounded good to me. See, he's so willing. Okay, here we go. On the first day of Christmas, my horse gave to me some bruises and a torn pair of breeches. Are you okay? Yeah, no, I'm good. On the second day of Christmas, my horse gave to me two playful bucks, some Some bruises bruises and a torn pair of breeches. What? They were playful. He didn't mean anything by them. On the third day of Christmas, my horse gave to me three torn blankets, two playful bucks, and some bruises and a torn pair of breeches. All right, hang on here. I need to get some more wine. Okay. Are you using this with me? Yeah, 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 yeah. On the fourth day of Christmas, my horse gave to me four loose shoes, three torn blankets, two playful bucks, and some bruises, and a torn pair of breeches. So the fair is coming out again. Uh, Yeah, no, he'll be up tomorrow. On the fifth day of Christmas, my horse gave to me a five-figure vet bill. Wait, 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 what? Four loose shoes, three torn blankets, two playful bucks, and some bruises and a torn pair of breeches. What vet bill? I was going to tell you about that. He's okay. He's good. On the sixth day of Christmas, my horse gave to me six stitches healing, five-figure vet bill. Four loose shoes, three torn blankets, two playful bucks, and some bruises and a torn pair of britches. Can you get back to this? No, 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 he's fine. On the seventh day of Christmas, my horse gave to me seven bones and knitting, six stitches healing, five-figure vet bill. Four loose shoes, three torn blankets, two playful bucks, and some bruises and a torn pair of britches. Seriously? On the eighth day of Christmas, my horse gave to me eight hours in the ER, seven bones and knitting, six stitches healing, a five-figure vet bill. Four loose shoes, three torn blankets, two playful bucks, and some bruises and a torn pair of breeches. No, I'm I'm honestly cleared to ride. I'm good. <sighs> On the ninth day of Christmas, my horse gave to me nine broken halters, eight hours in the ER, seven bones and knitting, six stitches healing, a five-figure vet bill, four loose shoes, three torn blankets, two playful bucks, and some bruises and a torn pair of breeches. On the tenth day of Christmas, my horse gave to me 
Ten busted cross ties, nine, nine broken halters, halters, eight hours in the ER, seven bones of knitting, six stitches healing, five figure vet bill, four loose shoes, three torn blankets, two playful bucks, and some bruises, and a torn pair of breeches. cross ties expensive? No, 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 just use bailing twine, it's good. On the eleventh day of Christmas, my horse gave to me... Eleven trainers yelling, ten busted cross ties, nine broken halters, eight hours in the ER, seven bones and knitting, six stitches healing, a five-figure vet bill, four loose shoes, three torn blankets, two playful bucks, and some bruises, and a torn pair of breeches. I really wish they wouldn't yell so much. On the twelfth day of Christmas, my horse gave to me... Twelve broken fence boards, eleven trainers yelling, ten busted cross ties, nine broken halters, eight hours in the ER, seven bones and knitting, six stitches healing, and a five-figure vet bill. Please get back to discussing this. Four loose shoes, three torn blankets, two playful bucks, and some bruises, and a torn pair of breeches. Also, I need you to go out and fix that fence later. Thanks. Happy holidays, guys. Happy holidays. Wasn't that fun? <laughs> it was. <laughs> I, yes, I can relate. That was <laughs> Auditor Scott and Marissa who did that, yeah, and uh, they did a great job with it. It was good. We had a, so many good ones this year for Radiothon. <laughs> 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 yeah, we can relate to everything that was in that, actually. And I could relate to the horse husband side. So uh, yeah, I think that was just a little bit for everybody there. Well, um, <laughs> we are uh, we are waiting on our next guest. Jennifer is uh, trying to round them up now. Do you want to hear? Uh, what well, we ha- we have a couple of minutes. Do you want to hear another one? Okay, so let me play this for you. Okay, uh, Jennifer okay. is rounding up our next guest. This one was um, this one was done by Elizabeth. And it's called Nothing for Christmas. And I can relate to this because it's got a pony involved. Here we go. I ripped the halter off Joker's head. Somebody snitched on me. I stole the hay-net from Glory instead. Somebody snitched on me. I tore a hole in Bindi's rug. Found the supplements and smashed the jug. Tried to kill Mr. Next Door's pug. Somebody snitched on me. Oh, I'm getting nothing for Christmas. Mom and the neighbors are mad. I'm getting nothing for Christmas. Cause I ain't been nothing but bad. I kicked the stall to make it break. Somebody snitched on me. I purposely stomped on the last good rake. Somebody snitched on me. With help, I pushed down the garden fence. Got a tummy ache from rotten plants. Forgot how to lunge and did a hind leg dance. Somebody snitched on me. Oh, I'm getting nothing for Christmas. Mom and the neighbors are mad. I'm getting nothing for Christmas. Cause I ain't been nothing but bad. 
I won't be seeing Santa Claus. Somebody snitched on me. He won't come visit me because somebody snitched on me. Next year I'll be going straight. Next year I'll be good. Just wait. I'd start now, but it's too late. Somebody snitched on me. Oh, I'm getting nothing for Christmas. Mom and the neighbors are mad. I'm getting nothing for Christmas. Cause I ain't been nothing but bad. So you better be good whatever you do. Cause if you're bad, I'm warning you. You'll get nothing for Christmas. This means you, ponies. (laughs) That was Elizabeth. (laughs) And I think she was specifically speaking to my hackney pony, Scooter, who could have sang that entire song. (laughs) Exactly, or my horse, Chief. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I think we all have ones that can relate. (laughs) Yes. Elizabeth (laughs) contributes every year, and she has such a beautiful voice, and she's so creative. She comes up with new ones every year. I love these songs. These are great. Thank you, Elizabeth. (laughs) Well, tell us about Renegade and how you get around without wearing shoes, and then we'll go to our guest. Yes, my horses have been barefoot for years and years, and we use Renegade hoof boots, which give them excellent protection and traction over rocky trails, and the horses do so well in them. They're American-made product. Uh, The the boots are terrific. You can get several hundred miles out of a set. Uh, the company is great to work for. They will help you with fitting. Uh, just get in touch with them at renegadehoofboots.com. You can uh, buy the boots to match your horse's tack. Uh, they different colors. And uh, um, it's a great product. Like I said, it's uh, made. they're made in uh, Arizona. Uh renegadehoofboots.com go to their website you can uh, look up more information on sizing and fitting and how to measure they've got videos uh, on how to you know how to make adjustments stuff like that Uh, it's a great product my horses just do so well being managed this way without uh, I I don't need to worry about farrier appointments any longer uh, it's great. It's, it's just a a nice way to, to keep them, um, to manage their, uh, hoof protection. Uh, they also offer a glue on version for the times when you're doing, uh, you know, a really special event, uh, like maybe a hundred mile ride or a multi-day or a a week long pack trip, that, that kind of thing. You can glue the boots on, uh, you know, not have to worry about your horse's feet for the entire week, which is kind of a nice uh, way to go. Um, I personally really like the strap-on boot versions, and they have two. They have the regular um, uh, Renegade boots, and they have the Viper boots. And so uh, go to uh, their website, and you can learn a, a little bit about each model of boot, or go to their Facebook page, Renegade Hoof Boots, and uh, ask questions there, and you'll get a lot of uh, helpful advice from the company and also from other users that are experienced and that have been successful using their boots, which there are many. Sounds good. 
All right. Very good. Thank you to Renegade. They've also been a supporter of this uh, episode of the Endurance Show yes. for the entire time. So we really, and, and you know, uh, and you as well. So, well, now next up, we talked to her husband last month. His name is Gary Pegg. He rode the Pacific Crest Trail all the way from Mexico uh, to Canada with a brief section cut out of the middle because it was a little too snowy. Uh, but he, it was enough. It was enough. And the one... <laughs> he- yeah, Gary yeah. did over 2,000 miles. I know, it was plenty. We're, we're, we're giving him the win here. Uh, and, you know, there's always a support sure. person behind somebody doing this, and that would be Janice. And we want to hear her side of the story. So, Janice, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining us and giving us the other side of the story. We heard Gary last month, and you heard the interview, and we said, oh, we got to talk to her. Because <laughs> you drove the truck and trailer hopscotching all the way up the west coast what was that like for you well uh the first month i would say <clears throat> was um basically coming up with a routine um that worked for both of us and uh the first few days you know i don't remember a lot about that i was very nervous wanted to make sure i was holding up my end of the deal and but once once we got on the road and got a routine going, it was it was uh, great. I mean, I I had a lot of stuff to do. You know, I started. I made notes about this and about all the things that I did. And um, I mean, I would get up in the morning, feed the horses first thing in the morning, like five five thirty, and then come back in, get some breakfast going, wake Gary up, time to get going, and get on the road here and pack up. And once I started to drive to the next camp, which we actually spent a lot of time in the previous years mapping out all the destinations that we could actually get the truck and trailer to and drove to them. Um, spent a few weeks every year for three or four years. Oh, is that right? I didn't um, realize that, that you had planned it that yeah, thoroughly. Yeah, we spent a lot of time. Yeah, we mm-hmm. did. And because we wanted to make sure we could actually get the truck and trailer into some of these places because some of these roads were, you know, pretty narrow. And a few of them had gates across them, that, and they were signposted that said they opened them the first part of May, which in one case that turned out not to be true. And um, Did you run it? Tell me you ran it with the truck. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. What happened is I got about an eighth of a mile from that gate and there was a, it was a logging road and there was a wide turnaround spot where they had, you know, parked equipment. And so I actually pulled over there and parked the trailer, locked everything up and the dog and I walked out to where the gate was and it was still closed. Um, I was really glad I didn't have to back up that, that narrow road. And you, you must've so, been on uh, some really dirt roads. I mean, be, the, in the sections some you really were dirt roads. Yeah. <laughs> And there were, you know, with the flooding and things that happened during the winter, which it always happens in the mountains, there were a couple of instances where the road and the parking place we had chosen was not accessible. It was washed out. And so then they would have an alternate and we would call all the people in the area that, you know, we could backcountry horse on whatever and say, can you get a trailer back in there? (laughs) And they said, well, you probably can. And so... There were a few times I headed up the road with no fingernails 
Well, oh, no. I was just going to say, yeah. I, I don't. When a, when an old backcountry horseman says to you, "It's been around for eighty years," says to you, "Well, you probably can." It means it ain't happening. He can do it. Nobody mm-hmm. else is doing it. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And you know, there were a couple times where I thought, "Please, God, don't let another trailer be coming down the road." No and kidding. Sure enough, <laughs> oh, both no. times, the, the, you know, I felt that way. It came, but we managed to figure it out and. I pulled way over one way, he pulled way over another, and he actually looked more scared than I did at one point when the <laughs> guy came by me. So, Did yeah. it always work out? I mean, oh, you had gosh. kind of planned where you were going to meet him, but were there days that he didn't make it that far? Or, you know, how did you keep in touch? Did he have a satellite phone? Yeah, we had those satellite in-reach phones, and he would typically send a text that said, all is well when he was about an hour away, three miles away, and, it, and that gave me a heads up that if I wasn't at my destination, which 95% of the time I was already there, um, it just gave me a little heads up that I needed to hurry up and get there. But I had to make sure that I kept the water tanks for the horses topped off and the fuel for the truck topped off, propane bottles full, groceries, you know, had to make sure everything was... Uh, fully stocked, and every opportunity I had, I did that. Um, feed stores were especially kind of fun to, I would drive by and say, oh my God, that looks like excellent hay, and turn, <laughs> turn around and go back and say, especially if it was a facility that looked like they could load it on top of the hay rack mm-hmm. on top of the trailer. So um, there was one place where I stopped and had them load four bales because it was excellent hay, and I had room for four and this poor woman had just purchased the feed store and uh, was new to the business and even newer to drive in a forklift. Oh, no. <laughs> she dumped the load a couple of times, which I climbed back down off the trailer, <laughs> help her put it back on the pallets, get it back on and start up again, and she would hit the gas and then the brake and the hay would roll off again. It was like, oh, my Lord. <laughs> oh, jeez. What were the so, scariest moments for you along this way? Uh, one of the scariest moments was that Gary had to ride a 42-mile section in one day, which is his, I believe was his longest day. From wow. Highway 58 in Tehachapi up to a place on the PCT called Landers Meadow. And I had driven the road up there, of course, the previous couple of years because we'd been up there, but... When I started up that 16-mile dirt road, they were in the process of grading it, and there was a like at least a foot-tall mound of sand on this sandy road. The hill was anywhere from seven to 16 percent grade, and I'm pulling the horse trailer with the horse in it, and you know we fishtailed a few times, and I was just like, oh, don't lose momentum, you know, come on, and I got to the top where it started to level out, and uh, there were the road grader crew was up there. I didn't know they were they were up there, but they were up there all out watching me come up this hill and cheering. Taking bets. Well, at least they could have pulled you out if but, you got stuck. You had somebody there to pull you exactly. out. Exactly. Right? <laughs> but once I got up there, I I parked a few miles. Uh, well, I parked at Landers Meadow, but I knew that there would be a place six miles closer that I could potentially get to, but I was not willing to go there with the horse trailer until I drove it first. So 
I unhooked the trailer, locked everything up, kept the horse in, and uh, decided just to drive the another six miles and see if maybe I could make Gary's trip 36 instead of 42 miles. And uh, I pulled out. I went about two miles and determined there's no way I'm taking the trailer down this. There was a section about 100 feet long with mud, at least oh. knee-deep, maybe butt-deep. <laughs> and uh, so, and it just looked like people had, you know, torn it up in there. So I turned around and came back and was backing the... Uh, the truck up to hook the trailer. I actually unloaded the horse at that point and tied her over to the railroad tie. Because you had the uh, spare horse, right? You, you had the spare horse. I had the spare horse right. with me, yeah. So I was backing the truck up to uh, hook the trailer up, and I looked to my left, and the horse, Mercedes, just wandered by with no lead rope on, just her halter, and I thought, what? I said, Oops. oh, put it in park. Mercedes, whoa. Whoa, and off she ran. Oh, and no. I mean, I am 16 miles up in the middle of nowhere <laughs> with nobody around, just this dirt road, which has been recently graded, so I could see her hoof prints. So I ran to the back of the trailer to grab a rope and some, you know, a can of grain, and uh, everything was still locked except for the one side that I had unloaded her, and I had to run, get the keys, come back unlock it you know the whole time my heart's just racing because the horse is now out of sight and uh so i got some grain a rope jumped in the truck and started to follow her and i looked in my rear mirror and i saw an old truck parked uh on the dirt road behind me maybe 200 yards behind me and as i started to follow the horse the truck came down and i could see it was pulling in where the trailer was and i Mm. thought oh man they're gonna rob me Oh, (laughs) and uh but I had to keep after the horse, you know. I thought, well, whatever. They, I guess, we'll have to just replace whatever they take. And I actually did find the horse, following the footprints. Cornered her once, and then she bolted again. And then finally, I got a hold of her and uh, hooked the lead rope to her and got in the truck. And I was leading her out the window, and I just said, "You better keep up." <laughs> I started started driving, and she was gating down the road alongside the truck, just happy as could be, and. <laughs> we got to the trailer, and there was somebody there going through the back of the tack room and had horse blankets, grain, everything was out on the ground. And I pulled oh. up and parked right behind her and blocked her in. And I said, what do you think you're doing? Oh, so it was a woman? It was a woman. She was had shaved head, tattoos, earrings everywhere, <sighs> and couldn't come up with a coherent sentence. I mean, she was oh, obviously kind of tweaked. Huh? Yeah. And... um so she said that her four-wheel drive had gone out, and she was looking for a rope to help her get down the hill. And <laughs> that's why I'm like, all right, we're not dealing with a full deck here. So uh, I was kind of having a bit of a conversation with her that you're going to have to, I'll move the truck, you need to get out of here. And I had a sense that somebody else was there, and I turned around, and there was this really big guy, super tall, also dressed in army fatigues, just looming behind me. Oh, Jesus. And my stomach just fell because I thought... Did you still have a hold of the horse at this point? No. I had tied her up to the fence at that point, but I just thought... uh, Because I would have wanted the horse between me and him. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it took quite a while to get him to leave. Finally, I said, my husband's riding the PCT. He's going to be here any minute, and he's going to be really angry that you guys have made this mess and things aren't set up. So... They did finally leave, but at that point, I was almost 
you know, it's like, that's it. Wow, that could have gone I'm south done. really quick, huh? Yeah, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, and I mean, there were a lot of times where I was alone out in the middle of nowhere, and and uh, it was, you know, it was a little unnerving sometimes. I had the dog with me, but she's she's super friendly, and... Uh, Next time the pit bull or Doberman goes. (laughs) Pit bull, yeah. (laughs) And there was one other time I actually took a wrong road. I was a few miles from where I needed to be, but uh, didn't realize it. And uh, had backed in, had the horse unloaded, had texted Gary and said, you know, I can't get to where we wanted to be. And he was just going to ride to meet me. It was only, you know, an extra mile or so for him off trail. And, uh, I stepped out of the back of the horse trailer after I got the horse set up with food and water, and there was this giant black bear <laughs> 30 feet away. And my eyes got as big as saucers, and I said, whoa! <laughs> and uh, the bear just stared at me. And so I clapped my hands together and said, go, bear! And then my little dog took off after the bear, and I oh, screamed, no. and then the bear ran. And then another <laughs> bear came across the trail, and I loaded the horse, put the hay in the trailer, jumped in the truck, started it, started honking the horn. <laughs> I mean, I was really scared. So at that point, I left and met Gary at a different spot. I bet. <laughs> what, you didn't want to sleep with the bears that night? Uh, having them hanging around? Yeah, no, I didn't want it. It was so big. It was all I could think of was, that is the size of a Welsh pony. <laughs> so... So while Gary was out there having a great time, you, you were the <laughs> you were having so, your own uh, set of adventures. <laughs> adventure. I picked up a lot of hitchhikers. I was going to ask uh, you that because I, because I, you know the hikers hitchhike to town and stuff, and I was going to ask if you if you ran across the hikers at all. Yeah, yeah, a lot of them. I'd pick up a few and be driving toward a town. And then see a few more, and you know, pick up pick them up as I went. And um, also, sometimes after I went through a town, I'd see them hitchhiking to get back out to the trail. I'd give them a ride. Well, they were happy um, to see you coming. <laughs> Let's see. They were, and and I started keeping a cooler full of um, ice with beer and wine coolers and water and Gatorade. And especially oh, they really, really like to see you coming. <laughs> <laughs> Gary would tell him, if you make it to our camp, I'll buy you a beer. And so I thought, well, we better keep the beer fully stocked here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you were a trail a, angel. Did you have a lot of them yeah. sleeping with you, sleeping around you at night? Did they come out? Uh, not a lot. Uh, a few times they camped with us or near us, but the horses are kind of now loud yeah. at night. You know, they're stomping around, they're moving their hay bags, rattling their buckets. And so if there were hikers that camp near us we tell them you probably should move your tent off just a little bit so they don't keep you up at night but most of the time they assured us that they were so tired that there was no worry there (laughs) and word gets out in the trail like that that there's this lady with a horse trailer that has beer word gets out and then they all start looking for (laughs) you it's true it's like a network out there well, what's what's the takeaway that you, what's the thing that you take away from this whole experience from from your side? Uh, well, it really helps to do your homework and um, plan ahead. Don't count on Google Earth to 
um, assure you that a parking place is okay for a truck and trailer. You actually should boots on the ground, you know, go and, and check it out. I do think that the best way to do a trip like this is with support. Um, I think it's really, really difficult to do it without support the way we did it, where the horse could meet the trailer almost every single day wow. and be fed up and, um, you know, and really well taken care of. Uh, we both, whichever one of us was feeling up to it, every time a horse came in, we would wash them down, you know, give them a complete bath, checking for wounds and mm-hmm. um, cactus stuck in their legs, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it was uh, it was a challenge at times, but because there was actually there was quite a bit of isolation, but um, the truck had internet, so we had. Uh, we did have the ability to, you know, double check maps and and routes and all that on a regular did you, basis. Did you but, do that through satellite internet on the truck? Uh, well, the service was through the truck. It was through AT and T. Okay. So actually, if if we didn't have cell service, then we didn't have okay. uh, internet gotcha. for the truck. Yep. Well, okay. I, I do have, a few I, days I have one question about cost. You know, I'm not going to ask you how much the whole thing costs, but did it cost, end up costing you more than you thought it would? Or had you uh, budgeted pretty well? Well, we didn't even budget. We just started. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it wasn't even a factor. We just, doing the uh, Pony Express ride back in 2011, I had a pretty good idea what it was going to take to crew and and to keep you know, the grain and all that stuff fully stocked and hay mm-hmm. and water and all that. And um, uh, we still haven't sat down and added up all the costs. <laughs> this is <laughs> better not to know. To. <laughs> <laughs> better not to know. It was just one of those lifetime adventures that Gary had really dreamed about doing. And um, uh, initially, we actually thought that maybe... I would, we would both ride, but what the first year we went down there, it was really apparent that there is no way a four-wheel trailer is getting up these roads. So, and and then you don't want to take two trucks and trailers. And so I thought, well, probably better that I just crew and take care of the extra horse. I know the horse really well. Well, that's a lot of work. I mean, it, it was, do you think that being an endurance rider for both of you kind of helped with this trip? I think so. It gives you a lot more knowledge being an endurance rider on, you know, those, those, uh, are they eating, drinking, peeing, pooping, mm-hmm. moving freely, that whole thing. Um, I don't know if the average trail rider pays as much of a, uh, attention to the actual, um, you know, the overall condition of the horse as you're going along. And that was another thing that I spent a lot of time doing is watching their attitude, you know, their condition, checking their shoes. Um, because Gary would come in, he would have been out in the sun or moving trees or cutting things. And mm-hmm. he was tired when he got in. He had ridden anywhere from 6 to 12 hours. And then he would have to sit down and blog. So a lot of times then I would, you know, wash the horse off and check their legs and check their shoes and you know, say, you know, Mercedes seems a little off. She didn't clean up her mash and uh, maybe hand graze them a little bit. So I don't know if just your average trail rider pays that much attention to your horse, but I think mm-hmm. endurance riders do. 
Right. And we enjoyed following along on your um, blog website, which is, is it Gary Pegg, P-E-G-G dot com? Yes. And you can see all the, the pictures there, too. Address. There's tons of pictures on there, which Lots are really cool. Lots of pictures. Cool. Yeah. Well, Janice, thank you so much for joining us. This has been interesting to hear about both sides of this over the last two months, and what an adventure. And uh, now, now, is there another adventure in the offing, or you guys adventured out for a while? Uh, adventured out for a while. Okay. <laughs> well, then I'm going to say have a very Merry Christmas. You can find all of the pictures that you're going to want to see at Gary Pegg, P-E-G-G dot com. Thank you, Janice. Merry Thanks, Christmas. Thanks, Janice. Thank you very much. All you right, guys take have care. a Merry Christmas. How interesting from her point of view I, and how freaking scary in that one situation. Exactly. I mean, that could have gone wrong. She obviously can talk because she talked her way out of that one. But, oof. And yeah. she was on this road where nobody saw except the construction workers. They must have seen her going up there. I mean, she was in the middle of nowhere. They saw I'm her. I'm sure they were, they were taking beds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they saw her going up and they thought, well, this will be easy. Only an endurance rider <laughs> would, would attempt to take the rig places where it probably it shouldn't, shouldn't go. go. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, and, and to deal with those two people who were obviously high like, on something. Oh, well, you know, I first met Gary and uh, Janice in 2011, and they were on the cross-country XP ride with us. And at the finish in Virginia City, uh, the next di- the next morning, they got married. Oh, wow. And so they survived, you know, two months together riding across country. I guess you figure you can ride together, we can get married. In every kind of condition you can imagine. (laughs) Heat and humidity and bugs and wind and uh, just er every kind of uh, stress test there is. And so if you survive that kind of thing and still want to get married, then uh, they were destined for sure to be together. So (laughs) I'm glad that they're still out there doing these kind of adventures together. That's awesome. All right. Very good. Well, thank you, everybody. Where, Karen, where can they find your website? My my blog is karenchatton.com. And uh, you'll have find all kinds of – there's years' worth of information on there. You can spend yes. a long time reading lots that lots at com. And we want to thank our sponsors at Distance Depot and also Renegade Hoof Boots for uh, continuing to sponsor the Endurance Show and make this all possible. Thank you, Karen. And you have a Merry Christmas. We'll be back here tomorrow Thanks, morning at 9 a.m. on Horses in the Morning. Jamie will be back. And uh, we'll be talking about other fun stuff. We'll see you, Karen. Merry Christmas. Bye. Merry Christmas. See you in the new year. 